0: Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Rachel. No no last name, so it's Rachel from Australia. Rachel, thank you, Rachel, and thank you from Australia. I, uh, I've i never been to Australia. My kids love Bluey right now, though, They're, so they are all about Australia. Um, and that is the extent of my Australian. I love Alice Frazier, um, and I try to follow the ashes, but I still don't know enough about Cricket. And I'm probably not gonna learn. Anyway, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for becoming a patron. And I hope you enjoy all the benefits you get from being a patron of the original cast, such as access to our bonus podcast, The Original Cast of the Movies, where this year we're talking all about sequels and biopics. We did Funny Lady in January, we did Grease 2 in February, we're doing Evita in March. And we're gonna keep crawling up. We got, what else we got? We got staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. We've got The Lovely, the biopic of Cole Porter. We've got so many, we've got Shock Treatment, the sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Did you know there was a sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show? There is. It's called shock treatment. It's bonkers. You're going to absolutely love hearing us talk about it. Go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. Become a patron of the original cast. All patrons gain access to our bonus podcast. You can also gain access to live streams and early access to episodes. So there's a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of great people over there right now. We're having a great community. So head on over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. Thank you, Rachel, from Australia. I hope you appreciate the restraint I've exercised here not doing my terrible Australian accent. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a theater student at Georgetown University and hails from Eugene, Oregon. It's Margaret Gleason, everybody.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming. It's so nice to talk to you. So you are, well, actually, this is interesting. (laughs) I like to tell the people what you're doing, but it's intertwined with what show you're going to talk about. So let's just tell the people you're here to talk about
2: violet
1: look at her skin china white tissue thin look how the light cuts clear to the bone gives her skin such a tone i take it any day praise god for everyone i meet while i, I am on my
0: Broadway recording.
2: Yes, yeah, the 2014.
0: Yes, the the revised edition. We did the off-Broadway production with Kevin David Thomas, and Mm -hmm. now we're doing the Broadway production with you. So I will ask, um, how did Violet come into your life?
2: Yeah. So. I mean, it's a big part of my life right now. I'm directing it for my senior thesis at Georgetown. Um, So right now it's kind of my whole life. Yeah. Um, But at first, I first encountered it. Actually, I was doing a theater summer intensive at the National Dance Institute in New York when I was like 14 or 15 years old. Um, And we had to do this exercise called scene to song. We were all assigned scenes and had to choose a song to integrate into the scene as though it had been written to be a musical. Mm. And one pair did the scene took place at a bus stop. And so they integrated in the song on my way. And I was like, that's a very good song. And I'm really enjoying hearing you sing it. Um, That was my first encounter with Violet. And then I, it was just an album that was on my, like, to listen to list. There was a day when I was packing for some trip and just put on a bunch of cast albums. That's one of the ones I listened through. Uh, My mom and I listened to it during Thanksgiving cooking in 2020. And it's just kind of been something that I've always like come back to. I like the, some of the songs. Um, I've always been kind of intrigued by it. Uh, and then when I was applying to my thesis, we were talking about which shows I knew I wanted to do a musical. One of the professors brought up Violet as an option. And I was like, well, I actually really like that music. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen it. And I wanted to do a show mm. that I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That now i now i'm living it and breathing living it, it. it every yes, single I was day. going to
0: say. Now it's now you're deep in the paint on it. Uh, I am. <laughs> are you are you beginning to hate it? Where are you in the process?
2: I'm not beginning to hate it. Um <laughs> I'm beginning to hate covid for sure. That's sure, been sure, complicated. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: doing college theater right now is is quite the the undertaking. Um sure. but no, the show is still I'm still very endeared by it. We're just a few weeks into rehearsal, I and mean, we only have a few more weeks. It's a short process, but mm-hmm. um I'm still really loving it, even when the music is in my head twenty four seven
0: yeah well it's and it's a it's a i don't it's not dark exactly yeah I'm trying to think of the it's heavy, i guess would be yeah very, very heavy, yeah it
2: is heavy, and the um my goal with doing a musical was I wanted to do something that was A musical where at the end you're like, oh, I hear some catchy Mm -hmm. tunes and I'm leaving Mm -hmm. feeling warm, but during it, you're not like the outside world doesn't exist. Like it deals with real stuff and real themes and stuff that's important to talk about and we'll start conversations, but also you get to like dance in your seat a little bit. And when you at the end of it, you get to walk out being like, I thought and I enjoyed and (laughs) I can go on with my night and maybe get a drink and I won't be depressed. Sure. Um, was kind of what I wanted. So it fits the bill there. But there is a lot of heavy material that we're really just starting to dive into in rehearsal, which is uh, interesting.
0: Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of complicated deep and tough stuff in there we should probably yeah, let yeah, people yeah. know i usually don't do a plot summary the second time we do a show but i want to do one in this case because it is yeah it's very important if you don't know the story of this musical it'll be very hard to follow i think anything we talk about so do you yes. think you could summarize the plot of violet for the oh the
2: sure i've done it so many times <laughs> it would be shocking
0: <laughs> if you couldn't so i'm glad you said
2: wait song. what's it about <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so Violet is a musical by Janine Tesori with a book and lyrics by Brian Crawley. Um, It's based on the short story, The Ugliest Pilgrim by Doris Betts, which is actually in the rights. We're required to say that anywhere that we talk about the show, which is interesting. Oh, Um, Yeah, all our posters have to have based on The Ugliest Pilgrim by Doris Betts. Um, And it tells the story of Violet Carl, who's a young woman from Spruce Pine, North Carolina in 1964, Um, And when she was 13, she had was in an accident involving an axe and her father uh, that has left her with a facial scar. And she feels very ostracized in her small Appalachian town. Um, So she's saved up all her money. Both her parents have passed. And she's going to take a Greyhound bus to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where there's this televangelist TV preacher that she's been watching um, who grants miracles. And so she's going to make this pilgrimage to him and ask for a miracle. And she literally says, that she's going to be to the preacher what uh, David was to go to or Goliath was to David. Like mm-hmm. she's going to go and be this huge undertaking for him. Um, and along the way, she meets two soldiers who are headed off to basic training. uh, Monty, uh who's from all from North Carolina and then Grady Fliggins or flick who's from South Carolina uh, and who's a black man. And so it's also interesting dealing with those themes in 1964 in the South. And they kind of hook up along the journey, both kind of in, literal and hang out together senses uh and um it kind of just unwinds from there and mm-hmm. i i won't spoil for the listeners whether tv preacher is able to work miracles but you know think about what you know of tv preachers and conclude sure. for yourself <laughs> this
0: have, yeah. well, we, well i think we're gonna have to get into it at some point but yeah, we don't have no. to spoil it right now yeah uh, for sure but it but yeah because it is a i mean this show is literally a journey but it is also yeah. a journey like it is a real journey with uh, with Violet who is this, the the only thing I would add to your synopsis is that we do not see Violet's scar. That is not represented on stage. Um, And she describes it at the beginning. Um, I noticed this time listening to it, she describes it so quickly and kind of so early that you may not realize what you're hearing if you don't know the show.
1: Battered nose, a pimpled chin, uneven eyes to take it in.
2: Yeah. her first first line, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She sets it up right at the top. And if you don't know what this show is about, you may not realize what she's described is how she looks. Yeah. And you can kind of miss it. You can miss the like, oh, that that was. and, And then. I think that because it isn't important exactly what she looks like. The point is that she has this thing on her face that she, you know, it causes her problems yeah. socially. I think as, as, as Flick tells her, like it does not hurt. She tells yeah. him at one point. Yeah. Um, but it it is a problem for her, and she would like it very much to be to be gone. Uh, and yeah,
2: and one of the things that's so interesting when you start diving into it is like, is it a problem because? Other people have told her that it's a problem or is it a problem because she's insecure about it and it's projecting that, you know, and it's kind of, you do see people throughout the show react negatively to the scar. So mm. there is that element that's present, but it's interesting to, we've been talking a lot about like how much of it is she's letting other people define her versus she's deciding what they think of her before she meets them and all of that.
0: Well, how, how much of it do you think is, is that, where do you come down on that? at least today in the rehearsal process? <laughs> yes. it'll, it'll evolve as the, as do the show. But
2: today what do you think I, today? Today, I think that she gets negative. She's gotten enough negative feedback to stop trying and it's self-protection. So mm-hmm. because she's had enough people be terrible to her um, because of this scar, you know, literally like wincing when they see her. Um, she's now decided that the best way to forward in life is to assume that everyone is going to have that reaction. Um, and part of what happens when she gets out of Spruce Pine and meets other people is that people care less about her scar, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of like this—the world opening up for her a little bit. So I think it—I think it's both, and but I think it, it initially comes from the people who mistreat her.
0: Sure, in her small yeah. little, yeah, in her, yeah, small, in her town. small
2: town. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's a really intense show. So when you say you wanted to do when your education, you knew you wanted to do a musical. Is that not a big part of the program that you're in at Georgetown?
2: It's not a huge part. I mean, obviously, <laughs> my college experience has been strange seeing as sure. I, I flew home for spring break in March 2020 and didn't come back didn't for 14 back. months. Right. Sure. Um, so, but it's not a huge part. So I'm a um, publicity director for a club called Mask and Bobble Dramatic Society, which is the nation's oldest continuously running student theater troupe at Georgetown. Um, and we do an annual musical um in the spring though so we've only done one in person since i've come to college
0: there. there you go
2: all right <laughs> yep. uh, we did a man of La mancha on zoom last year which was interesting um but uh yeah i so that's part of it and then the performing arts department is a very like kind of experimental space so they do maiden stage shows but um, there hasn't been a musical in that space since I've been at the school. Um, and then there's another theater club that did their first musical in like 20 years or something in fall of 2019. They did mm. Firebringer, which is a star kid musical. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Oh, I know
0: Firebringer. Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. So it's not a huge part of the program, but whenever we do it, we get a lot of excitement because people love musicals.
0: <laughs> they do. People certainly do. So why did you just des- when if you decided you wanted to bring musicals to your to your program, which musicals been a big part of your. Theatre development as a oh, fan yeah. and an artist. yeah, how did oh, when did that start?
2: Yeah, so I would say it started um before I have formed memories. Um, my, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the kind of the story that I tell and how accurate it is my mother can assess for herself. The story that I tell is um that my mom didn't really want to be watching cartoons on repeat mm-hmm. um and she loves movie musicals so she started showing them to me and then I liked them and she was like great we're just gonna do this, this what instead we're do
0: from now on Fantastic! Yeah. yeah
2: so like I didn't see Toy Story until I was 21 years old um, oh wow <laughs> <laughs> so that was but I had you know, I had My Fair Lady and The Music Man um, mm-hmm. memorized from a young age. Even a chorus line, we would just skip forward. We would fast forward through all the inappropriate parts. Um,
0: <laughs> so it was like forty-five minutes long. And it was were, like a very, yeah. it was a
2: much, much shorter right. version of course. One
0: hundred an hour. This is great.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and to the point where once I watched it with a babysitter who didn't know what it was, and I uh, self-censored. I was oh. like, oh, we fast forward here. <laughs> oh, look at like, you.
0: Look yeah, at you. Oh, very man.
2: obedient child. Um <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So that's just what I watched. That was what I mm-hmm. thought all children watched. Um uh I have since learned that it is not the bread and butter for most uh four-year-olds in the early 2000s to know every word of Fiddler on the roof. But no. um that is that is who I was and who I am. So it's always been central to me.
0: So what when so you were doing theater sort of as a as a kid oh, yeah. from that point yeah okay and when did yeah. you decide in your program which you're, you're focusing on directing it obviously What? when did you sort of talk about switching to the other side of the table and and moving yeah. from performing to directing
2: i went to a, a high school south eugene high school in eugene oregon um and my director uh, pat avery who's retired a few years ago um was just had a a built an incredible program we'd had a basically a four-year acting program at Mm. this public high school um it was really wonderful and a great community and fantastic training that I lean on most days um and there's a thing in that program where you could direct a show your senior year um, you would to apply, and then we had a black box theater, so you would direct what we call the little theater show. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were full productions, um, would run for four or five performances, and there would be student set designers and light designers and sound designers from the Sagecraft class. Um, and I kind of vacillated back and forth throughout high school whether or not I wanted to apply for that opportunity. Um, and then like the day that applications were due, I kind of just had this feeling of I think I should do this. Um, and so I applied and I was accepted, um, and I directed Time Stand Still by Donald Margulies, um, at mm. the end of my senior year. Um, Jeez. yeah. <laughs> and so you like
0: easy material then? I Donald like Margulies, to really, Violet, I like just, to re- yeah.
2: really just take it easy on myself sure, and do accessible right. things. A lot a
0: Neil Simon and, you know, face, yeah, <laughs> yeah <Okay>. for sure.
2: <laughs> um, so I directed that and my, my parents are both like in journalism. So that's what mm-hmm. drew me to that show. Mm-hmm. Is about foreign correspondence um yeah and i just loved it like doing that directing that show even from the audition process because i went and being like i don't know how to run an audition like i've auditioned but i don't what do i look for and mm. i just felt like i knew like i was watching and i was like oh i can just tell who's clicking in and who's not and how to make different pairs and i was just having like the time of my life and felt this like unfettered confidence that i didn't normally feel because i was in this really competitive program where we had five kids in University of Michigan musical theater at once, you know, um, wow. from who are graduates of a, of our high school. And mm-hmm. that was like a few, gen, like one generation above me. So like that legacy is looming all the time. Um, and I had always been kind of like, I don't know if I'm good enough. And we started directing and I was like, I'm good enough at this. Like, this
1: is the thing. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just felt like it was applying both my theatrical training and my more kind of analytical brain
0: mm-hmm.
2: it, together in the right way.
0: So when you, direct so has that been mainly what you've been doing in your program at georgetown Is 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 directing or do you kind of is it a multidisciplinary?
2: Uh, yeah it's career? very so it's theater and performance studies is the major mm. um so it's very holistic we do a lot of like looking at international theater practices um we so it's kind of like i got to a class called performing migration that was half like a policy class half um like performance uh, so it's very like wide ranging in the field. So it's not like you pick a track. Also, the, pro- the classes are open to anyone at the school. So every class has like someone taking their first theater class ever and like a major in their final year, which is a kind of a cool dynamic. Um, but I've mostly been behind the table for sure. I've mm. assistant directed. I've assistant produced. Um, I was an associate producer on a virtual theater festival. And then I directed a Gabler my sophomore year, continuing my trend of picking these easy pieces. Um <laughs> Man, um, okay yeah that, <laughs> they told me to do a non-Shakespearean classic and I said I, I wanted to well, be out I mean, a woman
0: okay <laughs> yep then that's Ibsen. because you're really kind of your choices are very yep. limited there yeah yep. okay yep right.
2: yep so that's what I did that was our, okay. our last show before COVID we shut down February 22nd 2020 really that was our closing <laughs> night really slid under the wire um but yeah and so I'm directing always in the focus it's always been like post-grad if I'm going to go into the artistic side, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. But I've gotten to play in a lot of sandboxes.
0: Sure. Do you have a, someone you are, I don't want to say emulating exactly, but I find Mm -hmm. when I direct, that's when I really, I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious later, but like, that's when I think about my teachers and my mentors and my, it's mainly in the prep phase when I'm just like, there's a certain kind of, there's a certain kind of feeling I want the room to have. There's a certain mm. kind of sense I want to be. And there's a certain kind of person I'm trying to, to create, you know, trying to be in the room is to be the way X number of person made you feel. Is that are there are people that you're sort of drawing on directly as you when you direct something?
2: Yeah, I think it's a a really a medley. Um, I have a professor named Maya Roth who took, taught my acting one class my first semester at Georgetown um, who's just this like wonderful nymph and I think she'd appreciate that description um just like this beautiful like spirit you know mm-hmm. um and I think she has a lot a lot of focus on like breath and presence and the body and that's something that I really valued and brought in but then from a more technical side I interned for Erin Posner um in mm. summer 2019 um and really learned a lot from that experience working on as you like it um so I think there's definitely some of that kind of like technical. I took a lot of like oh, in professional worlds, directors do this, you know, or can sure. do this stuff from that um and then my high school theater teacher just had this real love of it, like one of his sayings is one of my favorite things to say, which is the more fun you have, the more fun you have
1: mm-hmm. like
2: if you're having mm-hmm. fun, then you are having fun, and isn't mm-hmm. that great? you know sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so why not have fun
1: mm-hmm.
2: um so that's definitely a spirit I try to bring in, but I think it's really, it goes to so many people The you know, elementary school music teacher who taught my community theater productions when I was eight mm-hmm. um, and her kind of motherly nurturing spirit and the students who I did scenes with in high school. I think it really comes from everyone, but those are some touch points for sure.
0: Sure. What makes a good director?
2: Oh, gosh. I think you have to want to collaborate. Mm. In my mind, mm-hmm. I do not like working with directors who are like very O'Tourish. and that works well for some people. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm like, I think if you really want to be a good director where you both have a good product and the people had a good experience and feel good about their work, you have to be someone who's like, throw all of the ideas out there. And my job is to like shake the sifter and find the ones that we want to hold on to. Mm. But my job is not to... Produce all of the ideas. I will produce ideas. Otherwise, I'm also not a very good artist. Right. But we want. I always want to be someone who's letting everyone say whatever they think might be good, and then who I've been. I've been kind enough to them, and I've demonstrated my competence enough that they can trust me to then pick out the jewels from amongst everything they've thrown out there. And I mm. think that spirit and that willingness to set ego aside in favor of the exper- of like the process and the product. Mm-hmm. Um, is what I like the most in directors that I've worked with and it's what I try to do.
0: So when you're working on something like Violet, which is it was not a big cast. How many are in your cast? Is it six, five, or what what kind of Oh, uh, we are you have working with? we
2: have eleven. There's more ensemble okay. than you think. Um, okay. and I think the Broadway production had more people um mm-hmm. than you had a whole gospel choir.
0: Yes, that's <laughs> true. Did, is, um yeah.
2: but we do you, don't, don't, have a gospel, have you be, don't
0: have a gospel choir? You didn't We didn't we
2: did didn't didn't not have access to that, to okay. that. no. Anyway.
0: Um <laughs> When you got in touch with me and told me you were doing Violet in, in a college, my first reaction was one of like, Ooh, that's a tough one. Because mm. there are a lot of difficult every, every character, every every one of the big five characters has it as a difficult acting moment, at least one. Violet has a ton, but yes. they, you know, Violet kind of is one. That's a one big exhausting moment. And one thing I remember from acting and and directing in college is the, and actually I was just talking about this with with Aaron J. Albano about when you're younger Mm -hmm. and you're doing theater, you kind of take pride in leaving it all on the floor and Mm -hmm. stretching yourself possibly further than is advisable, especially emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think with a show like Violet, it can be really easy to accidentally get yourself into some pretty dark and scary places and not realize it. I I think that you can, because it's, it's so well balanced as a show in terms of, you know, comedy and sadness and drama and caricatures and all those things that it has a great balance to it, but the balance in the rehearsal process can be deceptive because you're not playing the balance every night you're playing this scene and then you're playing, you know, so you sort of can get really dug into what's really hard about the show gets into some stuff it gets into you know obviously perceptions of of beauty and and but more than that it gets into religion and racism and you know how we treat each other on a very disability disability and what does it mean to be i mean the scene that kills me every single time because it it's 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 because he's right but he's also really wrong is when she finally does get to the TV preacher and he explains to her that she is healed. I'm sorry, but there's nothing really wrong with you.
1: Maybe it's vain to worry you're ugly, but if you're worse than ugly, if you're disfigured, that's not vanity, that's pain, pure and simple. But sister, your scar is already healed though, right? Now it's
0: not going anywhere. You need to make your peace with that. It's shocking to me because he's obviously a charlatan on some level, yeah, but even if he believes what he's doing, somebody in the organization is a charlatan. Sure, but he's not wrong. <laughs> he's he's not right. You had an injury. The injury healed.
2: It's not going anywhere. It's not
0: going anywhere, and it's just not. And it is this. I like that that scene a lot because there's a version of the story where the scene with the preacher is he's he's a scammer, and she sort of figures that out in the process mm-hmm. of it, but. It never reaches that pitch he just refuses to do what he what he's there to do and so she kind of does it on her own which is a fascinating yes. decision yeah. but it's it's she never finds out that the, the the preacher doesn't have any power that's not the the sort of crux of it it's just the fact that he sort of refuses because she's fine and it's such a odd yeah. moment yeah it's
2: so interesting he just says i'm just doing my job right <laughs> like
0: come back you, tonight because he doesn't yeah. like, come back tonight to the to the show yeah. to the revival of the show the, yeah, yeah he
2: says come and and he's like lady you've burst into my place of work right <laughs> you, have, you have broken into my office i'm not going to respond positively to right. this breaking and entering um and now you're yelling at me now you're trying to do my job right you know and all of this where it's like and for her, it's just, this is what she needs so badly. And she needs to believe this. And it's just, she's set so much on it that not believing it is having, she has to re- restart her entire worldview from the ground up. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm doing my job and my job is not to cater to your every whim. Like I'm not some magical fairy. Um, And it's honestly a pretty reasonable response from him. Right.
0: But it is yeah. it is a dangerous moment for the actor playing Violet because you go from yeah you know raise me up to down the mountain, which is I mean yeah can we just stand for a moment and appreciate the rising and falling of those two titles? It's just fantastic. Yes. But it is. I mean though it it it's like Lot's wife in you know another Janine Tesori show, Caroline or Change. It is this mm-hmm. like she's going to lay it all out on the stage. And that's fine if you're Sutton Foster and sure. you've been doing this for a while and you kind of understand that like how you do it. And you, know, you have to do it eight times a week, obviously, but you're, you have the days off and all that. Yeah. But you have college students in your cast who are yeah. doing a full load, I assume, yeah. um, in a pandemic, which is somebody who is teaching in the D.C. area. I know what that looks like. And that isn't oh, yeah. either. And, and then they have to come out and sort of lay it all on the line you know yeah. how do you I mean how responsible do you feel I should say first of all for, for, for yeah. them and then how do you sort of monitor their mental health yes. in those rehearsals
2: I would say I feel incredibly responsible for them because I picked the show I cast them in the role I'm making their rehearsal schedule like mm-hmm. with, with my stage manager obviously but right. um, I consider myself very responsible for them. Also, I'm a senior. I took a gap year, so I'm older than everyone. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. yes. Um,
2: And I have 18-year-olds in my cast, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is definitely a responsibility that I feel. And we're still, right now, just a few weeks in, we got our star got pushed back because we did two weeks of virtual learning. Mm. Um, We're still just getting in out of like intensive music and choreo learning into more like the staging and the storytelling of it all Mm. which is like the next couple weeks but my as we are going into this i think ritual is really important like having Mm. warm-ups that the cast does all together um where they're not in character and it's about ensemble and being together having like those those tap in and tap out moments so if we are staging it in a way where violet and the preacher can like be off stage together somewhere after that scene and can just like do a high 10 and say like, mm-hmm. that was a cool scene. Uh, <laughs> let's go to drink a water backstage, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then I'm hoping because it isn't a super long show that we can reconvene the cast afterwards and not just do a little bit of like a closing at the book on the show for the night. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that sort of stuff is really important. And then throughout the rehearsal process, um, our club has an anonymous feedback form that gets sent out in every rehearsal report and every mm-hmm. email. So mm-hmm. if someone has a problem they're not comfortable addressing, um, they can fill that form out and it goes to our community engagement director who can then bring it up to the board um, and who can then come up with a way to fix the problem. We have faculty advisors as well, which is also a resource I'm leaning on. I have thesis advisors who mm-hmm. um, I can go to. But, um Throughout the rehearsal process, it is, again, I think that sense of trust that I try to cultivate. Um, I also do one-on-ones with all of my actors, especially my lead actors of like, is there anything I need to know before we go into the rehearsal room? Are there things you'd rather discuss in private than in Mm -hmm. this space? Like, you know, just kind of that check-in thing. So it's really just trying to create systems where they feel like they have people to go to um, if something's wrong. And then making it a space where the expectation isn't like come in and perform it's come in and be a person who's contributing to this project mm-hmm. um so that if in the middle of rehearsal they're like hey this is too much for me they can say that and I'll say cool no problem versus mm-hmm. like how dare you derail my rehearsal you know <laughs> sure. so that's kind of it's I think a lot of it is just is system building is that is how I approach it
0: is that something your program focuses on these days because it was definitely not something they focused on when I was in school but I wonder if it now <laughs> it, this sort of idea of Especially for directors, keeping an eye like keep an eye out for you know, everybody, see how they're doing. You know,
2: yeah. I don't know if I. It's not something my program doesn't focus on. Sure. I would say I've learned it more though from the student theater community, which has really been um, a mm. lot of my home base. I love the academic program, but the student theater, the co curricular groups, has really been my base. They predate the performing arts department at Georgetown. So, Mask and Bobble is in our we're in our 170th year other Mm -hmm. clubs in their 40th year and other clubs in somewhere in the forties or fifties. And the department was founded, I think in 2001. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a, an entrenched culture there and the department's, you know, great, but the student theater community is very robust. And I think a lot of this stuff has come from that space of students being like coming in as freshmen and seeing like, Oh, I'm seeing this, you know, misconduct or I'm seeing this problem why don't we have a system for that Mm -hmm. and I'm raising it and everyone going you're so right so even though over the course of my four years and I think especially with the pandemic like care has become so important Mm -hmm. um and we've been able to drop a lot of the pretense of like we're doing the most important thing in the world by doing this show in a converted classroom at Georgetown University because we're like have lived through a mass death event Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I think it, we are able to reframe a little bit into like what's actually important is that the people are okay and doing well and not that the show is perfect. You know, I've seen the department reform as well that used to do, you know, five or six hour rehearsals on a weekday night. And they've said that's not un- that's acceptable anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's been like a cultural shift overall. We're also seeing a lot fewer students willing to commit to really intense workloads or willing to commit to really overloading things. So we've had to adjust because like people weren't signing up. So, we said, okay.
1: Mm. <laughs>
2: people have changed their priorities so I think it's like I mean you could talk for hours about how the pandemic has changed our culture and sure. I think it's I think it's that and I think it's um my generation um slash the generation below me I'm kind of in a border zone mm-hmm. um all kind of looking around and saying like is everyone tired and stressed all the time cool <laughs> could we not do that <laughs> yeah so yeah its a really uplifting that's kind of what my thesis is centered on also is like the idea of how can you cultivate this community of care because I'm about to go into the workforce and hoping to go into the theater industry ultimately um and I hear a lot of horror stories you know I did an intensive this last summer where I was hearing from my teachers and they were saying things where I was like whoa but you know that that wasn't okay right (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, they paid me $250 a week and I had to live in New York City. And I'm like, so that's yeah. not cool. <laughs> right. We can't be doing that.
1: Sure.
2: Um, and so it's also like, my thesis is a lot of like, okay, so can we do theater where the focus isn't like sacrifice everything for the art, but it's like, let's be people who are making a thing together? I'll let you know what I figured out by, sure, um, right. by closing that on April 2nd.
0: <laughs> Fair. <laughs> very fair
2: maybe my show will be terrible and be like all right we we got to be terrible people to make good theater who knows (laughs) hopefully not
0: no i mean you don't first of all like we know you know know that's not true but it is that it's that terrible balancing act between of you know giving 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 a lot giving your all i mean it's what does it mean to give your all that's really i think the question yes does it is giving your all like literally giving your all and then you know black swanning it there on opening night because that's awesome. Like definitely (laughs) that's what we all want to do. Or is giving your all knowing like if I go this far, like that's, I can push myself that far. Like that's a healthy push. It's good to push yourself every now and again, but no further. Yeah. And I think the other terrible thing is for artists, performers especially, but people in general, you have to go too far to know where too far is. Yes. You know what I mean? You you have to do that. There's no other way to find out. You have to kind of, so the question is, can you create an environment as an, as a theater educational structure where it's safe, where you can maybe push yourself a little too far. And then there can be a lot of people being like, okay, you saw that what that happened. That was too much. Now let's, Let's give you a break and let's dial it back and no harm, no foul. Like we all learned something and no one got hurt, Mm -hmm, hopefully. mm -hmm. And now we can come back. And because there's that terrible fear that like, I I think I see in a lot of, I will say bad faith actors for the most part of like, oh, we're all just supposed to like not do it and blah, 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 yada, yada." you know, like that's what they were saying when equity came in and it was like, no, you can't rehearse for 14 hours a day. Well, how could you possibly put on a show if you can't rehearse for 14 hours a day? Like with more easily. sleep. With yeah, more right. sleep is how <laughs> you do sleep. it. <laughs> what do you mean we can only do eight shows a week? We do twenty shows a week. Like oh this my is yeah. and you're just yeah, like we used to do it that way, and now we do it this way, and it will continue to evolve and change and that's what it yes should do
2: there used uh, to not be women in theater and now yes, there are and yes. it's it's been okay it's been we it. it's, So,
0: far, so <laughs> I, I would say the jury's still out we're working yeah on it. you know yeah, we're right, we're, yeah, yeah. we're
2: we're trying to prove ourselves
0: <laughs> i'm kidding if anyone has never listened to the show before is only tuning in for margaret i'm kidding um <laughs> but <laughs> that's a terrible thought i just said. i'm like oh dear um but so when you it, it's just such a when you pick a show like or, I mean you know you helped you were helped to choose Violet obviously or a show like yeah. Gabbler I mean these shows are not like yeah. I'm, I'm joking but I'm not joking you've picked some
2: no. shows and... I have and not intentionally why have I not been doing farces <laughs> like I don't know <laughs> I don't know I, I was gonna I ask know.
0: like is there something going on like do we need to dedicate no, some time to I... this or are you like, <laughs> what, like what's the what's you know
2: I know I think I think it's just like I do shows where I read it and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued by that and how how curious. And I've never like, I've always been a dramatic actor when I was performing. Like mm. I'm, you know, I'm working on comedy. I'm doing an as you like it monologue in Shakespeare class. You're like, I'm, you I'm hitting, putting my toe in the water. Sure, But I've never been someone who's who's really been, in, I've always been very uncomfortable with being laughed at as part of it. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very shy child. Sure. So I think I haven't been drawn to those pieces as performers. And then when I'm thinking about things, I want to have other people perform. That's not what I'm drawn to either. And I'm like, I want people to tell stories that are interesting that will make them think that will require some like research. Like, you know, who was Henrik Ibsen and why did he write this play? And is it the first psychological drama or is it not? You know, all these things Mm -hmm. and theater history is also something that I adore. Um, so I like engaging with that when I can, but yeah, I think it's just, I, I also love to find the humor in things. So that's something to keep in mind. Mm. I don't like comedies, but I love finding the humor in dramas. Mm. So like our, our first, op- our opening night of Hedda Gabbler, we got to intermission and I was terrified that I'd done something horribly wrong because the audience was laughing for the whole first half of the show. And I was like, but you know, she's she, Okay. Mm-hmm, right. I was like oh my god this show is going to end and they're all going to feel like I've tricked them <laughs> like mm-hmm. when we get to the ending of it and beca- but it ended up being and that was a weird audience we never had that happen again to that extent but we got to the end of it and like throughout act the second half you could hear the audience like audibly start to go like oh oh oh, oh my god right. yeah. oh and I think there's this there's this line from Middletown by Will know that I always misquote but it's something along the lines of like uh, one character makes kind of a dark joke, and another character says like, "Oh, I do that too." And the first character is like, "What do you mean? I made a joke?" And he goes, "Oh, I use laughter to hide the pain."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he's just kind of like, "Hey, I see you. I see what's going on there. Like, I know what you're doing. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't trick me." And I like to see characters do that. So like. I do heavy shows, but I never do it. I never approach it as like we're doing a heavy show. Sure. I do it as like we're putting life on stage, and life has everything, and life is real. And so if you're doing something that doesn't have something real in it, and real doesn't have to be traumatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you're doing a show that is asking questions you want to ask, talking about subjects you want to talk about in a real, honest way, there's inevitably going to be some laughter and, and le- levity amongst that because that's what we as people do. When we're, when we're living our lives, like when I'm having a mental breakdown and I'm crying, I almost always make a joke somewhere in there mm-hmm. <laughs> because whoever's there with me, I'm like, oh God, they're seeing me cry a lot right now. Oh, my makeup's running. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha You know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, the thing that's what kind of draws me to dramas is like, figuring out how to make them life because dramas that are just like come in sit down be sad I hate them I don't want to see those like there's enough sadness in the world but the world is also there and I'm not a leave your troubles at the door type of person either I'm very much like I want people on my processes to come into rooms as themselves and to bring them their full selves and one thing I actually love about theater at Georgetown is that it is so interdisciplinary in terms of who is involved like you'll have a lighting designer who's a physics major with a double minor in English and journalism. And you'll have the the executive producer of our club last year was a government and theater double major with a disability studies minor. And everyone brings all of these knowledge bases and experiences into making theater. Um, and when we make changes to the club or make progress, we're not just thinking about it from a theatrical perspective, which I think is very important as well. And I think it's kind of the same thing or similar with the shows that I do is I want everyone to come in and bring their wealth of experience and that's going to include hardship and it's going to include laughter and it's going to include joy and it's going to include love and so I want to do shows that have all of that in it somewhere and it just so happens that a lot of the ones that I found that I really connect to in that way are in reputation like real bummers <laughs> you know sure. um, but I found that Hedda Gabler like it's tragic but I I didn't see it as like some, as just a tragedy. I saw it as like people trying to do life and not doing it very well in a lot of cases, but, but doing their best.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And they're just not and their best is just pretty rough, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, you have characters in there. Like you have, uh, we called her Taya for the Norwegian pronunciation, but who's just in love and is trying to figure out why the man she loves is suddenly being erratic and she's just trying to make it work. And, is able to find this like intellectual connection with Tess. You know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of things outside of Hedda Gabler a manipulative woman. And I also like to ask, like, why is she manipulative? Like, I didn't, don't see her as such a crazy woman who's doing things, horrible things, because she's horrible. She's miserable and she's depressed and she doesn't have any resources to do. She has no outlet for that. We're not here to talk about Hedda Gabler, but I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> well, um,
0: I do want to ask, like, so if you say you like, you're you attracted to material that that is saying something that you want to talk about, what is Violet talking about that you found so appealing?
2: Yeah, I think perception is mm-hmm. like, if we had to boil it down to one word, it's perception. Mm-hmm. And how that's not, it's not a concrete thing. Violet is talking about how she perceives herself it is talking about how others perceive her it's talking about how she perceives the way that others perceive her it's about changing perceptions in the south around race like you know there's scenes in memphis that are very much celebrating um black southern culture and the blues and beale street and then there's also scenes where racial slurs are used against flick at a rest stop in you know in rural the rural south and Mm it's 1964 and everything's changing and there are there are new laws that there's you know laws there's a line about how flick wouldn't have been allowed to sit at this counter a mm-hmm. year ago mm-hmm. you know and what are people's perception of that law and is mm-hmm. it good is it bad is it progress is it you know horrible i certainly fall on the the civil rights good side but um there's just a lot about how we perceive and religion and is it there's lines a lot about the preacher with the church of, is it a show or is it a church service? Like right. which, which one is it? Make a choice. And it's like, well, it's all in how you perceive it. Right. <laughs> Do you think it's church? Do you think it's a show? He kind of thinks it's a show, but the volunteer choir from Philadelphia and Lula Buffington is there to sing her beautiful solo. And our soloist for that, by the way, is incredible. Okay. Um, they're there for God and they're there for the mm-hmm. church. Um, so I just think that it, it just deals with a lot of, like, same circumstances, same set of facts, and everybody's got a different take, and everybody's got a different relationship to it, and that affects how they feel, and I think that's very interesting.
0: It certainly is, and it deals with it in in such an interesting. I mean, one of the things you said is that, you, that, that ticked my ear when you were talking about how the gobbler was, you know, Hedda Gabler doesn't know she's in a tragedy. Violet doesn't know she's in a musical, no. like or a musical, whatever the drama. It it is yeah. these people are people just just doing their thing. And yes. there's a lot of characters asking each other in in Violet, what do you want me to say? Or what should I say? Or what's the right thing to say? Or how do I make, you know, how do I translate this feeling? How do I make yeah. you feel better? How do I fix what's going on? And it's it's really the funny thing of once they stop trying. It works. Once you, know? yeah. <laughs> you stop trying yes. to make everybody feel better, it works. And it's obviously when you have, you know, the catharsis of of the show is, it's a trick. I wonder if one of the reasons the show isn't more successful on a grand theatrical, like a commercial theatrical level mm-hmm. is that the ending is tricky.
2: Yes, it is.
0: It is because it's it's great. It's a great ending, but mm-hmm. it's a great ending with some, I mean, there's two endings, obviously. There's the climax and then there's the actual finale. Yeah. And the finale is beautiful. The, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, folks, it doesn't really matter. Fli- uh, fl- <laughs> you can look it up on the Internet, but Flick and Violet Hello. end up together after and as it should be. Um, yes. And uh, but, you know, that's that's it's kind of a it's not a bittersweet ending exactly, but it's an ending not without. <laughs> the idea that like this isn't going to be okay right away like this is no, a white woman cause... and a black man in the south in 1964 yeah. well,
2: and do they end up together he's he's in the army and the well, u.s right. is entering the vietnam war
0: right and he like, hasn't been do... called off now but he he might be called yeah. Up later yeah. yeah
2: there's that line Monty has about like only special forces are going and it's like well that changes that
0: changes really you know? yeah
2: um and you know looking at it with with hindsight you're like oh gosh yeah but uh yeah it it is this ending where it's not like a oh and then love saves her it's like love gives her the next like she doesn't even it it doesn't even go
0: that far she just sort of reaches out to somebody else yes which she's never done
2: yes it's just like okay you can help me
0: yes i will allow myself to be vulnerable with you like that's really that's really all it is and that's enough i mean that is a beautiful character moment yeah But, you know, at $150 a ticket, (laughs) I think people are hoping for a little bit more. And, uh, totally. And, but the other problem is that it, she has the other, the climax. I say there's a climax in the finale. That's the finale. The climax is really her, her reconciliation with her father in the creature section. That is the Mm -hmm. actual, you know, dramatic catharsis of the show. Is this the whole journey of the show is really her fighting with her dad in her memories. But as you say, her dad is dead. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the catharsis is internal, which is yeah. fine. That's all you're ever like. That's all that's the only chance she's going to have. But again, it leaves it with this sort of odd moment of like, she doesn't really get it. She yeah. you know, or at least he doesn't get it. And I don't know if that's important or not. But yeah. it's just a tricky. But
2: tricky isn't that life? Ending. It is. You know, <laughs>
0: But it is the question of why do you go to the theater? Like, do you go yeah. to the theater to escape? Do you go to the theater to see life back? I mean, it's the reason, you know, as it's, has it's, it's been talked about many, many times, you yeah. know, West Side Story was not originally a hit because I like, think people didn't want to see life <laughs> I stared back at them. Um, yeah. And the original, I mean, the one I always think about is the original production of Follies where everybody was that age and went to see the theater and was like, oh, that's me and my wife up there on the stage. I don't want to yeah. watch that. That's not where yeah. I came here. Um, <laughs> So I get why you know, and not everything has to be a Broadway show, but but Mm -hmm. I do kind of understand why this show maybe isn't for everyone. But that's sort of Janine Tassori's kind of M.O. If she has yes, what what did when obviously in your pre-production and your planning, you had to sort of know that you were going to be asking a lot of like, like everybody's playing somebody older than them, coming from an experience that they don't have any genuine mm-hmm. experience with be a time period or, or, you know, whatever that is. So what were some of the things you did to prepare knowing that you'd have to prep your actors to get kind of, you know, they have to access a lot of emotions that we all, you know, loss and feeling alienated and feeling things, but they're going to be operating in kind of a, a time frame that they're not, they're not familiar with or, or, you know, a level of, of, of intensity that maybe they're not familiar with.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I'd say that we found a really good dramaturg. <laughs> and oh, good she's answer. doing, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's doing a lot of great historical research. She's so present. Shout out, Jolie. We love you. Um, she's, you know, she's uh, gave a presentation to them on Wednesday, just a historical context. She's made herself available to them to any questions they have. She'll give them, like, t- research back to them within a week. Um, and, you know, Violet was like, hey, I want to know more about all- our-, our actress playing mm-hmm. Violet Caitlin. Yes. Um, they said like I want to know all of about more about all these actresses that Violet talks about and like what might she have seen them and what were these actresses oh, doing yeah. at that time period so oh, yeah. you know, Jolie's working on that right now and Caitlin and I have also talked about like you know is she watching Rita Hayworth movies from 1963 or is she watching Rita Hayworth movies from 1952 you know where right what does she have access to in Spruce Pine
0: yeah
2: um, and yeah I think that's the main thing is we have a really good team, because frankly, I've had to do just a lot of COVID logistics. Mm -hmm. Um, I I made a a joke on Twitter earlier today that I'm now very qualified for all of the COVID compliance officer job listings that I'm seeing for theaters all over the country. I'm like, oh, I got you. You need people to wear a mask. I'm here. Um, But I've gotten to do a lot of prep, but I would say it's been a lot of team support and having a great dialect coach, um, Kim Mm. Schrafe, who's coming in, who uh, is going to help with them with accents and having our music director is, uh, Tori Pergerson. She works in Z public schools as a music teacher at middle school. Um, she's from North Carolina and she's bringing in that experience, and uh, all of that. Okay. So a lot of it's been having a really, really good team as like the like upper level production people have been like, so can we do a show?
1: <laughs> sure.
2: Um, so yeah, I'm just really now to be, to be quite honest, which is a different challenge is I'm kind of, really now we did like design stuff and all of that you know what's the set going to look like what's what are we gonna have for costumes and all of that but mm. I feel like now the dust is just starting to sort of settle to like okay show's gonna happen mm-hmm. we have a cast <laughs> we have a plan
0: <laughs>
2: we had the there was some there was some open roles for a little bit because
0: oh really
2: yeah we have um that thing again of Georgetown theater Georgetown students are these you know Overcommitment is sure. the game at this school. Sure. Um, but so than it used to be. And so we had a lot of people who, like, sent in an initial audition and then were like, actually, I don't have time for this. And I need to pull my name out of the pool.
1: Mm.
2: Which was, like, you know, cool. Maybe you could have realized that earlier, but right. glad you're taking care of yourself. <laughs> um, and it's, I respect it a lot because I would rather have an actor not be in the show than be in the show and getting four hours of sleep and... Miserable. Sure. Um, so yeah. That's the starting settled now. And now I'm starting to like dive in more. But our dramaturg, she's a lifesaver.
0: So I mean, because that is the the half of directing we haven't talked about, which is the practical, non-fun.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's been quite a lot of that. yeah I'm
0: sure it has. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's it, not that it didn't occur to me, because of course, you know, I'm living in the world. It, it did yes. occur to me, but it is like. You know, uh, most I think most DC schools did virtual learning for the first two universities. I mean, did virtual yeah. learning for the first couple weeks of the semester,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that does throw everything into into chaos. And yep. and you know, extracurriculars or, or you know, even though it's your thesis, it's not everybody's thesis, and so yep. like you have to f- figure. You know, you you don't get the first choice when things start <laughs> to come back. Yeah. And no offense to any kind of administration, but we all know sports gets the first, uh, first, first, first.
2: Oh, oh don't out. even ask me about the unmasked basketball games. Oh, <laughs> just,
0: you know, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? It and really is. seems that like, seems to be okay for some reason.
2: I know and my line I keep saying is you don't use your face to play basketball.
0: No, you don't. You really, really don't. Uh. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. But, um,
2: oh no, I mean, because
0: no, no. Georgetown's, yeah, Georgetown's a division one school. Jesus, I cannot mm-hmm. even imagine. Okay. So, <laughs> but all that aside, <laughs> yeah, sure, all that shade aside, <laughs> as
2: we must, <laughs> as,
0: as we must, because what the hell else are we going to do? Yep. It, it's, uh, you know, you, we're suffering. We're artists, that's part of the, sure, yeah. Um, I forgot what we were talking about, right? COVID, there we go. <laughs> when you but the 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 whole like it is all of a piece though I mean I think that that's the you know we've all met directors and worked with directors who were really good at the artistic side but couldn't logistic you know their way out of if that's what if I can make that into a verb um, yeah sure logistic their way out of a paper bag and it really oh it always causes trouble when you have somebody like that we've also met you know you everyone's met artistic directors when they who are very good at that job, and when they direct, they're maybe not as artistic as they like. Yeah. They can't; act, it's hard to like flex that muscle uh, every single time. And so, uh, finding that balance has got to be really challenging. And I think that you're in a unique position to gain like about five years' experience.
2: Yeah, <laughs> in <no>. a semester. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. I was I was talking to um, Christine Evans, who's artistic director of the Davis Center at Georgetown, and one of my thesis advisors. Um, Earlier today, and was just telling her like, here's this other you know fire that I had to put out this morning, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, you're going to be sitting there on opening night and just think to yourself like, wow, I have nerves of steel now, like nothing's gonna, That's <laughs> nothing's good. gonna throw me. I think it is good. It is good. So I do feel like because um, we all we've lost so much institutional knowledge on the student theater side because we didn't have in person things for over a year.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so there's also a lot of like, we don't have anyone who's been a producer before because we, this project is a co-production between my theater group and the performing arts department. Sure. So we have a lot of student, we have a mixture of student designers, professional designers, student you know staff, all of that. Um, and I really want it to be mentorship opportunity, which I think is, is going well, but it's mentoring people who started Georgetown virtually or who had their senior year of high school virtual and are now freshmen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so there has been a lot of heavy lifting um, of the two largest theater groups at Georgetown, I'm one of two seniors in leadership because my year kind of was like retired, which I respect. Sure. Um, But there's been a lot of like, a lot of reteaching and a lot of logistical heavy lifting on the part of the seniors who are still um, have the bandwidth to be involved and no disrespect to those who don't because I get it. Um, So there has been a lot of logistical heavy lifting on my part and a lot of like, telling our student producer who's amazing and a, a delight but being like hey this is a thing that you need to do because this is part of the producer job and no one told you because you were hired two weeks before we started because we couldn't hire anyone else because we were virtual etc you know
1: right
2: and now I feel like everyone's in place they're like okay cool I'm gonna go to the art now is that are right. we good <laughs> is anything gonna fall apart if I just go block a few scenes you know sure um But it's been a balancing act for sure. And I do feel like in general with the pandemic, we've had to turn our logistics brains on so much of like Mm. just keeping ourselves safe and doing the math of where can I go? Where can't I go? If I got exposed to COVID, how long ago was it? When can I get tested? All these things. But it has been kind of like, oh, maybe I'll breathe and like be creative Mm -hmm. (laughs) and let myself feel that joy and that fun and believe that things can be good. Um, after a lot of like minimal evidence in the world that things can be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I'm I'm you've you've caught me on a precipice here, I think, of oh, we're, yeah? we're falling into now, like, all right, we got all the pieces in place. Let's let's press go and do the art. Uh,
0: I do have to ask though, as I ask everybody when I we talk about a show, what is your favorite song?
2: Oh gosh, it's very hard. Um, especially because all the music is stuck in my head all the time right now we have to Um, narrow it
0: down to what is your favorite song right now I think that's only fair for you for you I'm sure it'll change
2: I think I really do love all to pieces I think Mm. it's so fun Mm -hmm. like I want to I'm not going to do this because it would be the wrong choice but I want to like make it a huge dance number because it just makes me want to dance and it has this huge the way it moves from like her being like, here's my dream for myself. Here's everything I want to be to like, I just want someone to ask who I am and to Mm want to meet me, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, it's all in that one song of like, I think it encapsulates so much while also being really catchy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm a, a, you know, theater, film, history nerd. And so I like that it names drops all these actresses. Yes, it (laughs) Um,
0: does. Yeah. So when, when can people come see it?
2: Yes. Uh, we open a preview March 24th, but it's open to the public. And then official opening night, March 25th. Um, and we pre- performances the 25th and 26th at 8 p.m., 27th at 2 p.m. And then uh, the 30th, Wednesday night at 8 p.m. We have Thursday night off because another show on campus has their opening. And that's part of our you know, culture of respect oh, for, other sh- for other shows is if hmm. another show has an opening, mm-hmm. you don't have you don't a show run. that night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, So we can all go support uh, Sweat by Lynn Nottage, which Nomadic Theater and Black Theater Ensemble are doing. All
1: right. Um,
2: Directed by Reginald Douglas, who's Mosaic's New Artistic Director. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the 1st and 2nd of April, also at 8 p.m. Yeah. And Matt, at Mask and Bobble on Instagram, I run, I'm publicity director, so I run the account. I will make sure the information is up there.
0: Very nice. Um,
2: Or performingarts.georgetown.edu or maskandbobble.org. We're we're on the internet we're out and about sure all
0: those links will be in the show notes folks so you can just yes. go through and click in um yeah. and yeah this is working so margaret this is wonderful where can people find you on on the internet
2: yeah uh i'm my name is too common it's margaret ann gleason there's i the only platforms where i have my name are venmo and snapchat um <laughs> uh <laughs> All right. It's the only place I can get my name. So sure. I'm at sometimes traveling on Instagram because I think that, that is accurate. Yeah. Sometimes I am traveling. We didn't
0: even talk about your travel blog on earth cover I, to cover at yes. wordpress.com. That'll be oh. like, you can figure that out for yourself. Guys. <laughs> yeah. That'll also be in the show notes.
2: Yeah. If you want to read about my gap year in Bulgaria or a trip to India when I was 16, there's some some good reading. Um, but yeah, I am at sometimes traveling on Instagram and at hey, it's Margaret G on Twitter um lots of uh tweets about politics and theater and my housemates saying silly things so that's a good time um yeah but those are the two main places and then i'm i'm on, I'm on linkedin if you want to hire me i would love that too. sure
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll go see the show and then maybe you'll want to hire margaret
2: yes oh that please works. i would love that <laughs> and tickets yeah. are free it's pay what you oh, can oh great well there you go yeah and yeah we so it we love donations obviously. obviously um we're financially strapped uh given the COVID of it all but if you want to come to the show for free you're more than welcome we'd love to have you matt vaccination required if i had gypsy
1: hair and a face to match it no traces anywhere of a wayward hatchet i could be centuries shooting on location in some far
0: The Original Cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the Movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Margaret Gleason for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have rehearsal. Give me
1: just a minute, though, to pillage my portfolio. Borrow Elky Summer's hair with Judy Garland's pretty chin. Grace Kelly's little nose with Rita Hayward's skin. But Ava Gardner for the eyebrows. Bergman cheekbones under gypsy eyes. I could shine like a moonbeam. On the silk of a ball gown, I could be someone lovely, turning heads on her first night in time. she to ask how to meet me. St. Louis? No, 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 no. To love me all to peace
0: There are eight games out with 30 to
1: go.